there are a million different reasons why an organization is created. There's a, a diversity of, of groups out there that you can join. You can Facebook groups, of course, is an infinite amount. And then even just in the world, though, right? I mean, there's bird watching groups. There's Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean, there's service groups. There's social groups. There's sports groups. There's book club groups. There is all kinds of reasons why an organization might be formed or a group might might form. And each organization is created for a reason by the members because they come together to like do stuff together, right? To fly airplanes or to, to build something or to read something or to study something. Well, the church is different than that. The church is created by God. We are members of his creation. I like to say that at River City Church, we're simply a group of people, a group of simple people who have been radically changed by God's amazing grace that he has shown to us in the gospel message of Jesus Christ. We are the recipients of love and grace. And we are the ones who have received from God. God showed his love to us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that is good news. That's the amazing good news, the amazing truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are a gospel-centered church because it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that creates us and sustains us. It's what our church is, is built on. So we're in the middle of a short sermon series that I called Rediscover Church. Rediscover Church. In fact, there was two books by that title. We actually had a whole box of them over there by the welcome table that I encourage you to pick up and to read the introduction and the chap first chapter. It, it was uh, free books that are given to us. Um, now there's one left over there because Isaac grabbed one. That's okay. You can take it with you, buddy, and you can read chapter one. It's called Rediscover Church. And we're really talking about here these three weeks rediscovering River City Church, talking about how the gospel has changed us and what our values are, what the three pillars of River City Church are. Because the gospel changes us, first of all, in our relationship with God, our Father in heaven. Because Jesus died for us, we repented of our sins, trust in him, our relationship with God is changed, and so we have gospel-focused worship here. And we are called now, as disciples, to fulfill the Great Commission by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples of Jesus Christ. In other words, we want to bring people to Christ. We want to introduce people to Christ. We want to see people growing in their relationship with the Lord, and then we want to help equip people in order to serve the world in love. And so that's our goal. We want to see people come to Christ. We want to see people grow in Christ, and we want to see people move forward in order to help to make other disciples. So in a forward phrase of our vision is every disciple making disciples. Every disciple making disciples. And we gather weekly for worship that is gospel focused and hopefully the elements and the songs of the worship service will remind us of our guilt and sin the grace that god has given to us and our gratitude and response and that's the gospel message in a worship service this morning in course seminar membership matters i said we know we're not trying to reinvent the wheel here at river city church we're not trying to do church in a whole new way we're trying to do it in the old-fashioned way in a sense right we're trying to remember why we gather together Remember the, the important things, the simple things, because really it's not us trying to earn our way into approval with God. It's about receiving from the Lord. It's about receiving the gospel message, receiving God's grace, coming to be reminded 
that everything we need we already have in Christ. Coming to be reminded of God's grace that he has shown to you. And so the first pillar of River City Church is gospel-focused worship, or simply worship. And then last week we talked about how we, because we are restored into a right relationship with God our Father, we are adopted into his family. Adopted, like totally received into his family. That means that we have a new relationship with other people who are also in Christ. That we have uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, not just friends, but now we have true family that's going to last forever. Deep and powerful relationships that, because of the gospel message, are completely brand new. Have you ever heard of the saying, blood is thicker than water? That means that, like, your blood family should be more important than your friendships. Well, family is more important than friends, but really in the church we should say Christ's blood is thicker than water and family blood. Because when you have been saved by God, you are a part of the family of God. And that's why you could go across the world to like a rice paddy in the middle of nowhere China and find a believer in Christ and have more in common with him than you would maybe even your own brother or sister in Christ or brother and sister who doesn't know Christ. Because that relationship with that person in another country is still united under Christ's blood. And um, our family relationships, like our even our husband or wife or spouse, even parent-child, those are all relationships that God created to be on earth. They are temporary. But our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ, they are forever. They're, they're eternal. And the gospel forms a new community of believers that join people together that might not normally be together. Maybe they wouldn't be together because of differences in age or background or ethnicity or socioeconomic standings. And so we have new relationships that we wouldn't normally have if it wasn't for the gospel changing us. And then those relationships, not only are they wider, but they're also deeper because we also have relationships that go deeper than just the surface level, but actually go to the heart of who we are because we have a new identity. Our identity now is in Christ. We are a new creature in Christ. And so last week we talked about gospel-formed community and what does that look like and how we want to be intentional in our relationships, trying to help one another grow. We have a church covenant here at the church, and if you join the church, you're kind of you're pledging to be in a, a promised relationship with other people that you're going to rejoice with them when they rejoice, and you're going to weep with them when they weep, and you're going you're gonna to take responsibility for their faith, and they're going to take responsibility for your faith too, helping one another grow. And one of the tools, one of the ways that that can happen, it can happen through men's groups or women's groups, but um, gospel community groups also, which is why we did them last fall and we're doing them again this winter, spring. And I'd like to, uh, like I said, put those together and help you maybe have a, go to somebody's house you wouldn't normally go to or have a conversation with somebody you don't normally have to or get to know somebody on a deeper level throughout the week that you don't get a chance here on Sunday morning when you just say, Hey, it's nice to see you. Got to run. You know, that's how life is. So today we're going to turn to that third pillar, gospel-fueled service. The, the, the third area where God calls us into a new work, a new relationship, is in the area of service. So today's message is about spiritual gifts. If I was to sum it up with one statement, I would say God has given a spiritual gift to every single believer in order to help build up the body of Christ. And for our text today, I want you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Because we're going to spend a lot of time in Ephesians chapter 4 today. Ephesians chapter 4. And it begins 
It goes Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So, number one, gospel-fueled service begins with a calling that you have received. And the call that he's referring to is the call of the gospel. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says that you used to walk in the sinful patterns of the world, but God has raised you up. He has saved you, and he has made you alive in Christ. He has shown immeasurably rich, immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward you. And Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, he says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own. It is the gift of God, not by works, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. But then look at verse 10. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. So he just got through saying that we are saved by grace alone through faith alone, not a, result of work, not a result of works so that you can't brag about it. But verse 10, he says, now you are created for good works. So we aren't saved because of our good works, but we are saved for good works. And that's an important distinction that the Bible makes that we also must make as, as well. Because it's, it's a subtle distinction, but it's an important one, right? It makes all the difference in the world. And we must remember this, that we don't work to earn our salvation, but we do work because of our salvation. We walk in the good works that God has prepared for us beforehand. And then he goes on in Ephesians chapter 4, and he says to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That the calling that you receive, that you are secure in. So you are operating out of this position of acceptance so that you have you have already been accepted and adopted into God's family. And you can't get unadopted. There's no such thing. When there's an adoption that takes place in front of a judge, they say this is your forever family. Just like your own children. It's the same way. You're not going to never become one of my own children. If you're adopted, you're never not going to become adopted. You're a part of the family of God. So you are secure. You're totally accepted. You're operating out of this position of acceptance. So act like it, he says. You are free to serve Christ because in Christ you've already been totally served. You already have everything that you need. So he says in verse 1 of chapter 4, walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have been received. Boy, it is so secure and you feel so satisfied, secure. Like you know that you already got it, right? So now I can... I'm free to serve other people. This is where gospel-fueled service comes from. I don't need your validation to serve you. I don't need to be paid back in order to serve you. I don't need your acceptance because I've already been accepted by God. I mean, that's how uh, we can interact with one another. And that's really how the only way that we can serve long-term. The only way we can serve long-term, and by that I mean without putting unrealistic expectations on other people, and without thinking that we, we need something in return, is to realize that our fuel for obedience doesn't come from other people. It doesn't come from a pat on the back. Yeah, of course, that's nice to have. It's nice to feel validated. It's nice to know somebody recognizes the good work that you do. But to know that the actual the fuel that never runs out it comes from the Holy Spirit. That's where the fuel that never runs out is that when it comes from our position in Jesus Christ. And, and that's where we, can, we know we can work from, right? Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, 
you are the branches. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. So in other words, it's Jesus working in us. It's Jesus working through us. We are merely just a vessel. We are merely just an empty tool, right? And filled with the Holy Spirit and he works through us. So if we remain in him, if we continue with Jesus, then we'll bear much fruit. But apart, disconnected from him, disconnected from the vine, we won't bear fruit. In Ephesians chapter 4, let's go on and read in verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And so secondly, what we learn here is gospel-fueled service continues by maintaining unity with humility and gentleness and patience. So remember that uh, it's already been established by God. The unity is already there. God has joined together this church. God is the one who's the head of the church. He's the one who pulls it together. And so before we talk about our individual roles in the church, we must remember that we function as one body, united under one triune God, one Father, one Lord Jesus Christ, one Holy Spirit. So we serve one God. And then the qualities that Paul lists here in verses 2 and 3, these are all action verbs. You see that? He says, bear with one another in love. Maintain the unity of the Spirit here. And it's difficult to be patient and gentle with one another. And it's hard because sin is still a part of our lives. We're not totally eradicated from sin. So like we're still going to hurt one another uh, hopefully unintentionally, we're still going to have to ask for forgiveness from time to time. We're still going to have to repent and acknowledge when we do things that are wrong. But we walk, this is how, I should say, that we walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we have received. And so whenever we talk about serving the local church with, with spiritual gifts, we must remember that um, that what he's talking about here, this is foundational to every every Christian that every Christian has. So, um, well, I'm going to get into spiritual gifts, talk about it a little bit. But first of all, just recognize that if you are a Christian, there is like everyday Christian living that, that the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. So the, the fruit of the Spirit is not necessarily a spiritual gift. I just don't want to confuse those two things. Because every person who is new in Christ, has the Holy Spirit in them, they, sh they should possess the fruit of the Spirit and seeing all of that fruit growing in their life. So I'm talking about in Galatians, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. That's the growing fruit that hopefully that others recognize in your life and maybe you might see in your life as well. I say that because I think it's hard to recognize when we're growing sometimes, but other people might recognize it, you know? It's other people that say, wow, Eric, you've put on weight, you know? I don't like to hear that, but you know, I don't recognize it very often. And somebody might say, "Man, you've been really you're loving and your kindness. You're you're a different person than you were a year ago." And that's what you like to hear, right? So, you don't say, "Well, my spiritual gift is not patience." That I that's not my spiritual gift. Well, that's not a spiritual gift, that's spiritual fruit. That's areas that we should be growing in. Uh, so, and along those same lines, not having certain spiritual gifts 
does not exclude you from living the Christian life. So, for example, again, every person who is called to a church should contribute with their time and their talents and their treasures. And in Romans chapter 12, Paul lists some of the functions of a local church. And in part of that, he says that if the gift that you have been given is the gift of contributing financially, then do so generously. But he's not saying that every person shouldn't, um, that only a handful of people should give. Because in another area, he says that every person should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So there are certain things as Christians that we hopefully are all growing in, but then there are spiritual gifts that God has given to us that we are used to build up the body of Christ so that there is unity in the body. In verse 7 of chapter 4, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So, number three, gospel-fueled service means using the spiritual gift that God has given to you for building up his church. So, since the idea of spiritual gifts might be new to some people, I thought I would spend a little bit of time explaining what the Bible says about the topic. So, what is a spiritual gift? Well, there's a couple verses uh, that talk about this. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, it says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Romans 12, 4, it says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. And in 1 Corinthians 12, it says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So, a good summary definition that I heard once is, Any expression of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer which empowers them to serve the church is a spiritual gift. So God has gifted his church with everything that it needs. And if we understand that the kingdom of God is spiritual and that the the church is the spiritual body, spiritual building, then we realize that God has given you a gift and God has given each one, of us a, each one of us a spiritual gift that is to be used to build up the spiritual body of Christ. And it's the Holy Spirit that helps us to, to work using that spiritual gift that we've been given. So you might ask yourself, well then, how do I get a, a spiritual gift? What, is, what does it look like? You know, how do I get this? Well, they're given by God. Look at in, um, on Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8. It says, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this is a quote from Psalm 68, verse 18. And if you were to look at Psalm 68, you would see that it's a picture of God who's a conquering war hero. And in Psalm 68, you know, God sets out, and he's uh, he goes to victory. He goes out to war, and God wins the victory, because God always wins. So God is victorious, and when God is victorious, he comes back, and it shows God, in verse 18 of Psalm 68, ascending the hill in victory. And he's got all the spoils of war with him. He's got all these captives with him. And it's a picture here. Paul uses it here to indicate that it's a prophecy of Jesus Christ, that he has this great victory over Jesus, Great victory of Jesus over Satan and over sin and death and hell. So when a king would go out to war and the king would win the victory, what they would do is they would collect the spoils of war. They would collect the things of value, including like capturing other people. 
and they would come back into the city with a victory parade, and they would ascend the highest hill in the city, which in Jerusalem was called Mount Zion. And this was the place of great victory, and behind this king was his his conquering army, but also the spoils of war. And he would have with him those two things. He would have the spoils of victory, and then he would also, it says, he would um, set, led, leading a host of captives. So he would free the people, his people that had been captured before. He would free them, and they would be included in this victory march. So, you know, sometimes there was this great celebration. There was always a great celebration after this victory. And it says that he gave gifts to the men. So he was passing out, the picture here that we have is this conquering king, passing out the gifts, the spoils of war, to everybody that was on his side. So what is uh, Paul is doing here? He's saying, this is what Jesus has done for us. So Jesus sets us free with his death and resurrection. So not only are we set free, but now we also get to receive the gifts. And I love that picture. Like I heard a pastor one time say, it's kind of like when you're a kid and you're at a party and there's a pinata. And the, the you know, Jesus' death it was like him breaking open the pinata. And you ever notice the kid with the blindfold doesn't get as much candy? Right? It's all the other kids. They get to collect the candy. Well, that's what the picture of the gospel is. Jesus broke up on the pinata and we collect all the spoils. We get the gifts. We get the candy. And so on Sunday morning, that's what you hopefully will hear. It's like Jesus won the victory. And then he gives gifts. He gives gifts to you. So, and we get to join him in his work. It's kind of like, again, you have a little kid who like, they want to help dad with their project, right? And so they get their hammer, a little plastic hammer, and they're going to help you build something. And you, as a parent, you know, like, what are you doing? You can't do anything with that hammer, right? Get out of here. Yeah, it's not what you say, do you? You say, oh yeah, you come help make the cookies in the kitchen. You come help build this, this project. And you get to join dad in his work. You get to join mom in their work. And that's where the relationship is formed, where it's really the parent who's doing all the work, but the, the, the relationship is built with the child, you know? And the celebration, when you see the cookies baked, you know, or you see the project come together, and that's the, that's the celebration, that's the fun times that happens. Well, it's the same way in our relationship with God. It's like, he's the one who saves us. He's the one who's doing the work. We get to join our Father in the work. And, and even in spite of our inadequacies, he uses us sometimes. And then we get to celebrate. And we get to say, the Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in his eyes. The Lord has done this. He's done this amazing work. And then I've been in this position where I've just been overwhelmed with God's grace, that God has done something and taken something like that I feel like I can't accomplish. And he does the work, and, and we get to celebrate. And that is such an amazing thing. What a wonderful gift that he has given to us. Well, um, it says in verse 9, I guess I skipped that. Like, um, look in verse 11 here. Verse 9 is kind of an aside in the letter, by the way. But verse 11, are there specific gifts? Um, I do think there are specific gifts. It says in verse 11, uh, it says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the uh, saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So um, these are uh, not specific gifts. There are specific lists 
I don't think they're exhaustive lists, but if you want to look at Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians 12, those are lists of spiritual gifts. These are, um, these are some of the offices, like the apostles were the 12 apostles. They were shepherds and teachers, people that were set aside for specific teaching ministry. Um, but there are a variety of gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit, and there are a variety of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And so it's kind of like, you know, we're the body of Christ. Uh, the eye can't stay to the hand, I don't need you. And the hand can't stay to the foot, I don't need you. So we're all different, we're all unique, but we're all specially gifted in order to serve. So it's not just that, um, like, you need the church and the church needs you. Sometimes I think we think, well, it's not a big deal if I don't, I don't need to go to church. I'm doing fine. I don't need to be a part of a church. Well, you're, you're forgetting the fact that the church needs you, right? You bring something to the table. Maybe you don't think, oh, I don't feel like it. I'm not a strong Christian. I haven't been a Christian in a long time, or I, I've been, I had a horrible week, or I've been sinning a whole lot. It, you don't realize that the Holy Spirit can still use you in somebody else's life. You're, you're cutting yourself short, which means you're cutting the Lord short, because you don't think he could use you, right? It's like going back to the fact like, oh, God can't save me. I'm too great of a sinner. Where Paul says, I'm the chief of all sinners, right? So it's like, again, you're trying to shortchange God when you say God can't use me for anything in the church. No, that's not the case. Thankfully, God can use everybody. My pastor growing up was an older gentleman, and I always loved these. So he always used to tell our church when I was a kid, like, if you have breath in your lungs, God's got a plan for your life. He would always say, even if you can't do nothing but pray, you know, that was the best ministry. And we think that we are, people up front, they think they're so, you know, strong and big. And in reality, all we are like a little kid in a little wooden knife. But an older lady who, who can't get out of bed, she's like this giant of a faith, you know. That's where, that's where the real spiritual battle is taking place. So don't discount what you can't see is happening. Don't think that it, just because somebody is... Um, more visible in the body of Christ that the Lord's not using is using that person more. It's not necessarily the case. So don't cut yourself short. God has given you a spiritual gift is what I'm trying to encourage you with. God has blessed you. God has saved you. And then God has called you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have received. So these spiritual gifts, they're used in verse 12 to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. This is like one of my key verses from my undergrad from college was like, they said like, this is your job, okay? If you're going to go into the ministry, your job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. In other words, not to do the ministry. That's not my job. My job is to equip others to do the work of the ministry. If you're a member of the church, you are a minister of the church. You are called to serve. And then the my job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, right here in black and white, for building up the body of Christ. So that the body of Christ is added to, that people come to know the Lord, that the people grow in the Lord, so that people are helping to make other disciples of the Lord in order to, um, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Wow, what a beautiful picture. Like we are all growing. We are all maturing in the Lord. We're not there yet. Nobody is perfect. But together, we are helping to one another to grow in the Lord. Man, again, what a wonderful, wonderful picture that we have of the body of Christ. 
that each person is a, a recipient and each person is a giver and that you are part of the church, you're part of the family of God, working together, helping the body to grow. So finally, I just want to end by saying like, well, how do I know my spiritual gift? Okay, we've been talking about it. It's all right here. Like I said, you can look at it further, Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. Well, first of all, pray about it. Pray, ask God to show you how you might be used. Talk to other Christians who know you. Ask someone to be praying with you to help you maybe discern. They do have, you could Google like spiritual gift assessments. And we used to do that here in this church. And I, I, I have some mixed feelings about it. Sometimes they're helpful. Sometimes they're not. Um, they might help you to discern your personality. I like the shape. Uh, shape is like spiritual gifts, heart, um, your um, your background, your, your personality, how God uses all of this to shape you for ministry. I think those have been helpful for me. Uh, but I say don't always put every stock into those things because it's, you know, it's not, we're not like the business world, right? We're not like we'll take a strengths finder test and find out how you, God can use you because you, God might use you in a way that nobody else knows about, right? And God might use you in a way that the world doesn't look at and say it's automatically, well, you're a good singer, God's going to use you to sing, okay? Or you're a good guitarist, God's going to use you for guitar. Yes, that's great. I'm not taken away from that, but like it might be something hidden, right? It might be something, an, an encourager, or it might be like um, a teacher, you know, that you're not a teacher in real, and I almost said real life. You're not a teacher outside of the church, but maybe you can be a, um, a, a nursery helper or a kid's helper or something like that. And so it's not necessarily the best place that you that you are gifted it, but it might be, okay? But sometimes, like I said, it's surprising. It's surprising how God might use people that you'd be surprised about. Like, for example, there's a, a lady I met once who, a long time ago, she was a, a, a business owner. She was an executive. She uh, had a lot of uh, money, and she actually supported me in a ministry that I did a long time ago. But one time she said, um, she said, yeah, a lot of people come to me for money, and I like giving. You know, God has given me a lot of money. I love giving. And she said secretly to me, she said, you know, Eric, but my spiritual gift isn't in giving at all. And it's not in leading a business, even though she owned a business. She had two businesses like that did very well. She said, my spiritual gift is really praying. So you tell me what you want me to pray about. And me and the ladies here in the office, we get together and we pray and pray and pray, and we see God move. And I was like, that was so touching and so much more meaningful to me than any money that she might give. But Because like I said, it's the kingdom of God doesn't advance through like business principles. And it doesn't even come, the kingdom of God doesn't advance through our wit and our wisdom, you know, and our cleverness. It comes from being humble. It comes from being meek, it comes from serving. And it comes from the love of Christ. Sometimes, like I said, that you don't even see. But we get to be a part of, nonetheless. In verse 15 and 16, it says, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So that it builds itself up in love. May we be a people 
that's loving one another and who love to serve God, God because of the grace that he has shown to us. And may God be glorified in his church. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus who lived and died and rose again. And thank you for the Holy Spirit who applied the work of Christ and gave us new life and moved us from death to life, moved us from your enemy to being adopted into your family. And we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who gives spiritual gifts to help each one of us grow, but more importantly, to help the, the church body grow. So God, I pray that you would give us an understanding of gifts in order to use them to build your church. And God, finally, we ask that you would grow us up in love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.